This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. And this year, I don't think we put our foot in our mouth about anything. Our feet in our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> carry, carry on. Go there. ahead. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, Managing Editor at Voice San Diego. What's up, Andy? What's up, pal? Fellow Managing Editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. ¿Qué pasa, Lopez? Nada, Lewis. How are you? Coming up on the show this week, more election results are in. The true horse race, the real horse race of real data has played out. It's been a long wait for some races as expected, and now we have more clarity on who won and how some of the key ballot initiatives fared. We'll go over what we know and what's still at stake. And with the election in the rearview mirror, homelessness remains the biggest story in the region. It's the second biggest story as well and the third biggest story. We're going to talk about some new data about the city's towing practices, who gets towed and when and what the city of San Diego is doing and some of the challenges facing people who do fall into homelessness. Finally, the child care crisis has also worsened after 55 years and major local preschool has closed. We'll talk about their reasons and what it means for San Diego families and how we kind of predicted this about six months ago. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Every year or every election year we do this, we always just like talk about the results the night of the election. And we've gotten better, I think, in like couching things and, you know, expressing nuance about how things are going to change. And this year, I don't think we put our foot in our mouth about anything, but things have shifted since they started counting the 500,000 votes that were not counted on election night and we have some news you yeah. got some different the the landscape of San Diego is a little bit different and it could still shift it's still not done they are they are still 15,000 votes short of the full count uh now obviously the number of votes for all kinds of cities are is going to be just tiny out of that but some of these margins are tiny Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. let's get into the big the big ones first measure b this was the trash service fee proposal the city of san diego obviously as we've explained many thousands of times does not charge a special <laughs> fee for you if you put your trash out on a city maintained street in one of the city bins mm -hmm. but if you don't do that you have to pay a private hauler to come right and um, that affects most but not all apartment dwellers and the people who get the no fee trash collection are mostly, but not all single family homes. That is called the people's ordinance and changing it has been 
sort of a windmill that the city leaders have tilted at for a hundred years. Yeah, is it in recent years? Was it has it been a windmill? It's more been, uh, as I say, a third rail, right? Just something you just don't you know, touch. Every, You're just warned against touching. You know, if you had a panel yeah. and it was about the city finances or about something the city wanted to do, and one of the guys would be like, well, we should you know, build a roller coaster that takes everybody to City Hall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then be like, well, where are you going to get the money for that? And the, the first thing that people would say is, well, we could start paying for trash. Yeah, but I feel like the tone of those comments was always in the, the realm of like, well... Just because of the universe, we'll we'll never be able to touch that thing. But if we could, there's some money sitting there. But it, it's not as though I don't really get the feeling that anybody ever like, gave it much serious discussion as like something they, they were going to take on. They weren't trying. And then a couple of years ago, I guess it was last year, Council President Sean Elo Rivera proposed that mm-hmm. we do just that, that we reform the law. Now, the, the change would not mean that a fee was implemented immediately. It would give the city the permission to go through the process of deciding what the fee should be, what it would pay for, and how it would be administered. So that's going to take a while. I can imagine actually some pretty big debates about mm-hmm. it, uh, how much it should be, when it should be implemented, all of those things, who it should affect. would be very funny if after all this, they, they, can't, could, pull- they can't muster the, the political... <laughs> uh, like capital to to actually pass the fee it's not do you think there'll be a task force yes oh yeah Uh, without question (laughs) we've gathered community leaders uh there will be so much um so many opportunities for feedback let me let me tell you there's gonna be a lot of feedback opportunities the number of stakeholders who will be convened Mm -hmm. is just going to be through the roof yeah (laughs) included yeah included in voices voices yeah um taken uh taken into account one thing is for Input. sure they're gonna listen to the community <laughs> because measure b looks like it's gonna pass now so on election night it was not incredibly far behind and we very appropriately couched that things could change significantly but it was it was it had a few thousand votes to make up it has now made those up and it is up Almost 3,000 votes on the yes side. And with only 15,000 votes left to count across the county, even if half of them go to the city of San Diego, you'd have to have a scenario where there's 8,000 votes in the city of San Diego. In order for this to win, the no side, or the, in order for the no side to win, they'd have to get about 6,000 out of, of the 8, remaining 8,000 votes. And that's not how it's been breaking. So be a quite a departure. Quite a departure. So I think it worked. I think it passed. Yeah, I think so. That's wild. B mm-hmm. is for bins. We just watched history. B <laughs> is for bins. Go ahead. If you still got one of those flyers, frame it, put it up. The B is for bins fl- flyer has been You know what's funny about that? Remember indicated that, as a strategy. They were always like, Well, there's nothing <laughs> no we can't say anything is going to be implemented because of this. Mm-hmm. But remember, they were just they were like, but we can say you're going to get free get bins. Free bins. You're like, gonna get, yeah. Yeah, we can say that. Yeah. It's like, what else then? So you can't we say- reporters can't discuss the tax as an inevitability. Fee. But they, the propo- yes, excuse me, fee. In fact, that, that's a, a fine correction. But they, the proponents, absolutely can presume that the free bins will come. Huge win for the San Diego Municip- Municipal Employees Association, the major mm-hmm. funder of that campaign. Uh, the largest union of city employees within the city of San Diego. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, They're ready to uh, administer all of that. They're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going to have to pay, as we talked about earlier, also for the service to the green bin, right? We're going to have to do a green bin for all mulchable stuff. Yeah, food waste. And that's going to cost some money. So that's partly what this will pay for. So fascinating development there. Again, it's about... 2,900 votes ahead on the yes side and looks like it's probably going to hold big change. Yeah, so I guess, you know, we talked last week about the uh, the amount that Mayor Gloria was present in the campaigns for, for Measure B and yeah. C. It now looks like both will pass mm-hmm. um, for better or worse. Yeah. 
do does the the strategy there the strategy to not put him front and center ha, has that been blessed has that been vindicated yeah and you just mentioned it measure c this was the exception to the height limit for the entirety of the midway area from the old town area up through sports arena you'll be able to build as high as you need to to accommodate the zoning and community plan for the area the the proposed housing and housing envisioned for the area, and of course, the big redevelopment of the sports arena and the new sports arena that they project to build in the area. Now, they the reason we had to vote on it this year is because the opponents sued and won, and they say they're going to sue and win on basically the same terms that the city didn't... The, the UT, I think, wrote a whole piece about how they're going to sue and they'll have to vote on it a third time. That'd be fun. But I don't think that's... I so mean, the lawsuit essentially said, the first lawsuit said the environmental report for the community plan area, which the city relied on to say that it didn't need an environmental report back in 2020 for the ballot measure. For just the height limit, yeah. They said that that met, that environmental report did not consider the environmental effects on view corridors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is as that may sound strange to somebody, but a typical California environmental impact report does, in fact, inv- examine things like view corridors, mm-hmm. uh, scenic views. Yeah, that is part of the environment as far as that law is considered. When you're on top of the Phil's Barbecue, <laughs> right. and you look towards the west, you should be able to see. Well, it, the taco it, shop specifically in this case it would be like <laughs> things like if you're in Mission Hills, if you're outside the community, right. and you look across it. You right? should, yeah, you should be able to have see. a clear view of Lay Girls, Lake Lay <laughs> <laughs> um, Girls, yes. And so they, they, the the city said, ah, okay, the judge has ruled with you. We will augment the environmental report by doing a view analysis, which they did. Um, the new lawsuit says. Yes, 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 but the the all of this new structure has other effects that you still haven't considered, such as its effects on traffic and noise and pollution and other things that like will come with these taller buildings. Um, and so you can't just continue to rely on that old environmental report, but with a new view analysis taped onto it. You need to do a whole new thing on all of these other effects. And so like... You know, the city is very confident that that will be wrong, but they were very confident in 2020 that the lawsuit was wrong. Let's explain this for a second, because maybe you can help me understand this. So mm-hmm. what what we're talking about is the community, the community plan for this area, which includes the zoning for this area. That yeah. has been in place since before the previous ballot measure. That's correct. Yeah, and The it, amount of housing you could build, the types of you know the place where there will be housing versus the place there will be industrial zoned land versus the place there there will be commercially zoned land etc all of that is spelled out in the community plan it sets a level of new development that could be ultimately achieved um, but it did not include a change to the height limit okay so, so all the development is within that height it's below. still the the new development that could occur now without the height limit still must follow what is in the community plan that was that predates the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. So am I correct that the city's argument is that we are still bound by all of those rules in the community plan mm-hmm. and thus the height limit change does affect view corridors. Yeah. We, we're going to go ahead and acknowledge that you might have a point on that and try to fix it for this new ballot measure. Mm-hmm. But... Otherwise, it is still constrained by everything else, which we already did study the impact of all of these new housing units and other plans within the community plan. Correct. And so there is no different difference in those impacts because those are still constrained by the community plan. Yeah, that's the city's argument. Now, the, 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 the proponent's argument is that that's not true, that the taller buildings will necessarily have some impacts on noise and things like that. Birds. Yeah, sure. And lay girls. Yes. So, I mean, they're, they're basically arguing you, you can't just augment your old environmental report that didn't include tall buildings and say, well, now we'll take a look at views. We, you, need, you need a whole new environmental impact. Mm-hmm. 
If we have to vote on this again, and if I'm explaining this in two years or four years, maybe I, uh, I should just quit. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, like what and like the like a sports arena redevelopment, like the like the if the city's selected developer, yeah, goes forward with a project that too will need an environmental report, right? That like, and if some other project elsewhere in Midway decides to go forward with a substantial redevelopment. That's, That's different than the plan. We probably shouldn't get into the extent to which that's true and untrue. Okay. There are different types of envir- environmental reports, and even if you comply with here. the plan. Just stop. Yeah. This is too nerdy. End. Yeah. Okay. Well, but you have me on record. If we have to go and do this again, I'll probably I mean, have my, to. I'll probably have to leave. My ideal scenario is that the city wins its appeal on the 2020 uh, lawsuit. So none of this matters. But then loses the lawsuit <laughs> on the 2022. <laughs> what? Because which like that that could happen. They are appealing the previous judge's decision. Right. And the proponents are suing this measure. Right. So I would love an appeals court to come in and say, "No, the judge had it wrong about the views." And but then the lower court judge saying, you know, you were also wrong about all the other stuff because I it just that's just chaos. <laughs> Andrea, one of the things that made me laugh today is when you said, I got a text from somebody I didn't know that said <laughs> it's just 87 votes. And instead of writing back, I don't know who you are. Can you just tell me who you are and we'll talk about what you're talking about? You wrote. I know, so close. <laughs> I just said so close. I actually just figured out who it was, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't uh, know in the moment. We're talking about. I I would have done what you do, just <laughs> just like move the conversation along, see if a little bit more hints. information trickles uh-huh. out that's going to give you a hint. Yeah. Okay. What we were talking about though, the eighty-seven National votes, City. is the difference between what race? National City Mayor. Ron Morrison and Jose Rodriguez. Ron Morrison is clinging. I I don't know if you just noticed, but like I can't pronounce that last name in English or Spanish. It's weird. (laughs) Rodriguez? I can't. I just physically cannot pronounce it in English or Spanish. Really? Yeah. That's it's random, but it seems like something I would struggle. Or Andy, not you. Yeah. (laughs) National City Mayor's race, Ron Morrison. And Jose. And Jose. Rodriguez. There you go. Uh so when we recorded on election night, it seemed clear that Ron Morrison had had this because he was like eight percentage points up. Yeah. But as the votes have been counted since, and this is probably the one we were most off on as far as whether it was certain or not. Mm-hmm. And now it's just 87 votes. Now, again, do the same breakdown. There's 15,000 votes left in the county, probably only a couple hundred, maybe a few hundred in National City. And how many of those would have to break for Jose Rodriguez to make it possible for him to catch up is unclear. Especially knowing that there's another candidate in that race who can who takes some of those away. Yeah, you know, the incumbent. It's harder to come The back, incumbent right? mayor. But that's another thing we can conclude. The incumbent mayor did not get reelected. Right. But this is a big, different city if it's Jose Rodriguez versus if it's Ron Morrison. Mm-hmm. And then in Chula Vista, there was another race, not the mayor's race. I do not think Amar Campanajar will catch up to John McCann. Similar dynamics. If if a third of the 15,000 votes are in Chula Vista, he would, Amar Campanajar would have to win a really impressive number of them to catch up. And that seems unlikely, but who knows? But another impactful race in that city is the Chula Vista City Council. This is District 2. Jose Preciado was losing on election night, and now the count shows him ahead by just by 100 votes out of about 15,000 cast. So still could flip again, but it looks like it's trending toward him. And if that's the case, Andy, that changes our analysis about Sandag. It ensures that the Democrats on the Chula Vista City Council, regardless of the mayor being a Republican, John McCann, can put somebody more in line with the democratic consensus on transit on the regional transportation board of Sandag, correct? That's correct. Now, in Carlsbad two years ago, Democrats had a majority and they couldn't come to an agreement on who to support. And so Republican Mayor Matt Hall 
ended up going to Sandag anyway. Yeah. Um, that In was, Escondido, there was the the case of the Democratic mayor wanting to go on Sandag, but the Republican city council members didn't want him to, and they just didn't have a person on Sandag. Right. So, it, you know, the, the appointment process is you, you can't necessarily guarantee that uh, the majorities will act one way or another, but given the size of, of Chula Vista's vote at Sandag, I think it would be unlikely that three Democrats would appoint a Republican to that very powerful seat. Yeah. So chances are very good that Mayor John McCain, McCann in Chula Vista will not be that city's representative at Sandep. I think it would be fair to say. Got it. Um, okay, uh, let's correct a couple of things that we actually were right about on election night, and then we kind of hedged on, and then we were right about. So one of them is the Catherine Blakespear race. This mm-hmm. was the state Senate District 38. This is the north part of San Diego County Coastal District, along with part of Orange County. Uh, we said, boy, she really crushed the opposition there. Mm-hmm. Republicans didn't have a good night in some of these areas, and that's evidence of that. Orange County showed up and made it much closer. It looks like it was going to trend against her. But then it trended back as more San Diego County votes came in, and it looks like she has secured that seat. That's a flip of Republican Pat Bates. She had represented the district for a long time, and now it's in Democratic hands. So they actually picked up a seat locally. And then across the area in the State Assembly, District 76, Brian Mainshine faced a very tough race against Christy Bruce Lane, a Republican, and he was up and then down, and now he's up. Yes. And he has secured it. And the Associated Press has called the race for Mike Levin in the 49th Congressional District, overlaps a lot of the Blakespear District, and that was sort of similar as well. Uh, When we recorded, it seemed like he had a very healthy lead. Orange County votes came in very strong for his opponent. And maybe we were wrong. Super tight. It has now grown again, Um, and, you know... (laughs) History will show that uh, in the end he won by like, it'll be, you know, over two points, three points, something like that, um, which won't go down as an especially close race at all. But we will have the memory imprinted in our brains of watching two weeks of uh, results come in and, and during which it was for one stretch. Very close. Yeah. And as we mentioned, Escondido's seeing a change four years ago. It elected a Democrat as mayor, Paul McNamara. He didn't exactly govern as a kind of consensus Democrat along that like we just talked about in the regional sense. Yeah, he was often aligning with the North County rural, disproportionately Republican Sandag board members against the urban, large city Democratic mayors that are on that board. But that wasn't enough to stop him from getting ousted. It looks like Dane White, Republican, has... Declared victory in that race. It's still a little close, but again, do the math. It'd be very hard for Paul McNamara to catch up. So it's tough to get these right at first. We should all keep in mind the next election, we're going to make a couple adjustments. The first results are not indicative. They're they're the best poll out there. They're yeah. a great poll of results, but polls like this aren't quite accurate. So it's uh, just... Hold it on some of the tight races. Yes. We will remember in two years. I'm sure we will. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Friday morning, I got an email that has changed some things for me last week. Let me just back up a little bit. I live in Ocean Beach, and nearby, uh, I, there was a, a family. Um, Mason was the son. He was my son's age, and 
his mother was June, and I knew him pretty well. I talked to him pretty often. I gave them a basketball hoop. They were part of they were part of the neighborhood. My son and him weren't friends. They didn't hang out a lot, but uh, every once in a while we would we would see them and talk to them. During the pandemic, I didn't see them much. I would see Mason skateboard by a lot. We'd say hi, and and then uh, I had this experience last week where I got an email. And it was June, his mom. And she said, I was just reading an article about homelessness and I scrolled down and I saw it was you who wrote it and I recognized you and um, I'm just reaching out to you because several months ago I was uh, evicted from our home Mm -hmm. and I, last night, the police confiscated my vehicle and towed it away. And we are right now, this is the middle of the night and I'm trying to stay warm under blankets with Mason next to me. And we're, we're out on the street and I read it and I was just like, I was just deeply upset. Obviously like this was a very cold day. Remember it was, it was like when that cold front came in, it was, very, very cold after the rainstorm had come by. And it was his birthday, she said, that day. And I was obviously deeply affected to think about my own son, the experience, and how also how I didn't know that they were gone. I hadn't known that she was she was not part of the neighborhood anymore. She was, again, just a few doors down. And... Uh, I did uh, immediately make a call, a few calls from to people about what what could what could we do to help them. Uh, the housing commission ended up acting very quickly, and uh, PATH, the service provider, PATH, they went out and they were able to get June into a hotel, and uh, the housing for homeless group uh, has also been assisting and they helped launch a GoFundMe. Now, um, that's uh, Amy Zamudio's group. Yes, uh, and Joanne Stanley. And there's, it's all been just a very disorienting experience. So what happened also as a a YouTuber who does uh, van life YouTubes, like she has a following apparently across the country. She was live, she was hanging out in San Diego. I wouldn't say living, but she was, hanging out in San Diego. She did a YouTube. She found the women after they'd been uh, thrown out and they were at Mission Bay with all their stuff around and the dogs and the kids. And she did a YouTube about it and mentioned me in it. And then um, it was it was just a, after that that the activists took a hold of it and it became a, a local story. NBC has done a story about CBS. But I... I I think this just brought the story full circle where now homelessness is every part of my life. Like my, it's like, it's all, it's every, it's what we cover in this part, in this discussion about politics, policy, the future of the city. It's uh, part of our, uh, my, my rec- recreation with my daughter and, and, and our, and our softball league. It's all that anyone talks about. It's the, it's our life at home and the people who are around us and trying to live and survive in their cars or walking by or in their tents. And now it's my neighbor or my fo- former neighbor. And and I just, I, I don't know, I just am really upset about it all. Now they're, they're it seems like gonna get some help. And at the very same time, as if, I mean, it's just incredible how, these coincidences happen sometimes. The city released an audit from the independent auditor about towing, about when the city decides to confiscate vehicles with their private towing partners and under what circumstances. And sure enough, it found, it found that the vast or sort of disproportionately affected group are the poorest people in San Diego, that they fall behind on their registration, they collect parking tickets, they park in places they're not supposed to, or all of the above. And in some cases, like with June and Mason, they were living in their car trying to figure out how to get out of that situation and their home was taken. And 
I think we've said a lot lately that the dynamic needs to change as far as this being considered an emergency or some sort of bigger issue than just an issue in the city, like we might consider uh, a pollution issue or a infrastructure issue or something like that, that this is an all-encompassing municipal emergency, just an urgent emergency. And I want to make one other point. There is this thing when we when we see people living in their cars or living in their tents to me that represents their ambition for shelter right they want shelter there's a lot of people like they want to be homeless they 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 are literally finding shelter and creating it because that's what we do as humans right creating a home creating a community yeah right and i feel like all of our civic enforcement mechanisms are around them being thrown out of those situations, hitting true bottom before we can push them into our system, our warehousing system for them, right? The shelter system from which they can be placed into medium-term housing situations and eventually long-term housing situations. Yeah, and I think this was yet another vivid example to me of how rather than combat their current sheltering instinct and fight them and strip it from them because we can win because we have the power to, that it that needs to be channeled. Like rather than kick June out on the street with Mason, which seems like what does what good does that do? Like what entity is better off when you kick June out of her car after that? I can think of only one that benefits from that. The, the towing company? Yeah. <laughs> what what other entity benefits from that? We have a newly, now truly homeless person on the street. Four, in this case. Yeah, because there, was another, there another, was another mother and child who were uh, all living together. Which means that the homeless population, like the actual street present homeless population, has now gone up by four. And a new tent, two tents probably, is gonna are going to appear. the The city is as from this audit is not recovering its costs from this system when they have to sell the vehicles or or whatever. And the and she now and these women now have to try to get their cars out, which digs them deeper in the financial hole. Like, it, can you imagine being completely destitute and having to come up with impound fees get your car out of that and get a first month's rent and deposit for a rent and i mean the barrier to get them up into just to get back where they were is is a large lift now. just to get them back into the vehicle where yeah. they were living mm-hmm. is a large lift let alone the the lift that they were already facing to get into that first month's rent. back to their home yeah right and i i gotta say and the next person that says well they should just leave San Diego, to me, I'm going to erupt at. <laughs> because can you imagine moving at that point to what? Arizona? Salt Lake City? Boise? What? What are we talking about here? What are you going to do there? Where, who's, whose house are you going to show up at there? Yeah. What money are you going to buy a hotel room there at? What former neighbor are you going to be able to email to ask for some sort of... like Human connections yeah. are what makes... A, a community that that is what it is that's the definition it's not the the amorphous term that we use during city council meetings to say that we've listened to people community actually is the network of people who we all know and and the relationships that that bind them right and so i think we have to confront this moment differently mm-hmm. if people have a car like that there has to be there has to be a place that you can say okay you you can't be here we've had too many complaints i i understand that i i'm dealing with that in the other part of my brain mm-hmm. in the other part of my life but they have to have a safe place to take them to go to take that vehicle and taking their car doesn't help anybody except the towing company and is that who we're working for because maybe that is maybe that's the whole deal maybe they get enough maybe that's part of the system that's that's we're we're creating here 
because they're the only ones winning. But if that's not the case, then then get them into a place that that it's safe for them to park and to find services and support and 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 move on from there. Same thing with the tents. If somebody's wanting to put up a tent to shelter themselves, they want that shelter. Figure out a place where it's okay. Safe camping spots, safe parking lots. Those if we treated this like a true emergency, we would have 15 of those opening every month wherever possible to try to get it to the point where these are safe and taken care of so that they're 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 cleaner, they're 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 easier for people to deal with and we can um have access to them more readily in these moments. But I I just I don't I don't know what's happening out there and I feel like everything is designed to make it worse before they make it better. I want to recognize the people out there working as well like Amy Zumudia and and Joanne Stanley providing the services they are to help people work through that process of getting their cars back, of finding out how to recover their vouchers for housing, of getting into, you know, going through all the steps that, it, that we put on people to get out of this situation. Great. But also it seems like they're working well and more with the housing commission and the city's uh, infrastructure. These aren't like competing entities anymore. They are working together and doing a lot. And I find that fascinating too. But I don't know, man. I was just really upset to think of them on the street that night. Mm-hmm. And what are we, why are we doing that? Why is that happening? I mean, every, it, you know, years now of covering this, every however long it is, a new individual story comes across that illustrates some element of this crisis, whether it's the Rashkis that Lisa wrote about that were, once again, it was like, Everything was beating down on them. Yes. It was every few months they encountered a new thing. And each one of those things you could like, and you know, there were commenters on our site or on Twitter who were second guessing the decisions that they made in each of those moments. And sure, maybe from the outside, you can go litigate each of those moments. But it nonetheless, in, as a whole, paints a picture of people who are trying their best who are working and have many things going for them. They were a family. They had some assets. They had been employed recently. In this case, they had jobs at the time. They had one job at the time. And yet the system conspired for none of that to matter. And they their situation kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point that they reached out and said, like, people just need to know our story. Like, it's it's so amazing that, you know, we we continue to be pushed further down this hill that I want people to hear how it happened to us to put a face on it. And and like June and Mason seem to be another example of that. And the elements of the system that they illustrate are like, again, you can look at like five different areas where it's like the illogic of this towing policy is very clear when put at behind their, their, their faces and their personalities or the like the haphazard nature of the resources and responses that we have that a bunch of different groups and people that they knew connections that they had happened to be able to get them into a hotel room pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and that they have that now but it's just as easy to imagine that not happening for them and them still being on the street. It, it feels like a small miracle that they ended up in a hotel room as quickly as they did, right? Like the number of people out there who could have had the exact same series of events and not end up in a hotel room within within three days and take a look out on the streets. Obviously, that is the case for many of those people. It's it's anytime you look too closely at it, it just feels helpless and not getting better and amazing that anyone has ever been lifted out of it. And there are, the numbers are clear. Lots of people are being placed into shelters. Lots of people are being placed into permanent housing. And at the same time, so many more people are, are ending up on the street. Yeah. I think there's, there's also something going on where there's, there's in order to feel to, to ease your conscience about what's happening, there are people who, argue that they're they're that the homeless right now are uh, almost a 
a subspecies of some kind. They're almost like just a uh, they're just different. They want it. They're 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 drug addled. They're they're mentally unwell. That 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 some collection of of their traits makes them want and need different things than the rest of us need, and therefore that we should think about them differently. And so what you just said strikes home because one thing that June said in that in that video was it feels like they want me to become one of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It feels like they want, and you can see it. Like she's not going to sleep well in 45 degree weather. Mm -hmm. She goes four or five days like that. What if somebody comes up and offers her, uh, like Shawnee Lowe Rivera said that one time, a pill to make it feel better. Mm -hmm. Uh, What if, like what happens over six months of not sleeping well in the cold, in the drudgery and and the dreary situation that you can start to see a slide start to occur right Mm -hmm. and then and so it's like it's it's not to excuse anybody's situation or decisions but this is not a one thing there's there's june and masons out there and then there's people who are uh in much different situations in both the rashkis and june and mason situation what is very clear is it's not there's not one moment there's not one moment that you can point to and say if not for that this wouldn't have happened. It's it's a series of moments and it keeps happening and they keep getting, you know, it's, it's a system that applies pressure on them time and again and again. But every piece of rhetoric that's coming from the leadership of the city, at least, is that this is only getting worse mm-hmm. and it's not going to get better for a while. And we can't tell you what we're doing to make sure it doesn't get worse and in fact, gets better soon. It's just other cities are bad too, and this is and we're doing a lot, and we're doing a lot. Please be clear that we're doing a lot. Which, you know, if it seems like there are, there's a lot of money going around. There's a lot of action, right? But I think when you take like all the rhetoric, the Bill Walton and everything, everybody is screaming for the same very basic thing which is that this needs to be treated differently the whole yeah. thing needs to be treated differently as a wholesale emergency the same way we did the pandemic the same way we would the tsunami that might come or would come or whatever it needs to be treated as though something's different now this is also not foreign to california what are the grapes what's the grapes of wrath about yeah. right right uh, people who you know move here out of desperation and uh and find themselves in a complete harrowing destitute uh of of survival and, and poverty right a situation of survival and poverty and and then what i've talked about when when in the 30s and or i'm in the 40s when people moved here in droves to take the job jobs and had no housing like cities have dealt with this over the decades over the centuries mm-hmm. and reinvented their housing situation their sewage situation everything like what is our reinvention what is our emergency that that causes a reinvention here because if we don't do it it's going to keep getting worse and everything that everybody from bill walton to june are worried about is going to get worse and nobody's given us the answer about like what well no this and this are going to happen hang in there Okay, I, I I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this or not because I, I still want to learn more. I haven't had a chance to sit down with June and Mason and talk about what happened. Why were they evicted? By the way, there, were, there was an eviction moratorium. What happened? I, I I don't know the answer to that yet. Those kinds of things. I'll but gonna, but that's like another. It's like it it's not one thing. Right. It's like there there's the eviction. Right. There's the it's it's many moments on the way to the street. Yeah, she lived in that home for ten years. Like what happened? And I need to I need to know. Stay tuned. I will try to find out and learn more, and I'll do a a broader piece of journalism about it. So what was it about? Seven months, eight months ago, we did our cost of living week. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was that long. Ago. I know. Jeez, <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> a violent thing for you to say to me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, an exploration of all these costs and and difficulties that families are dealing with in San Diego. And my contribution to it was about childcare. And I opened the story with a uh, 
administrator at the Honey Bear Preschool, Rebecca Garcia. And I asked her, or actually our um, intern at the time, Alicia Wadwa, she asked them, what would it take to get a spot at the Honey Bear Preschool? So this is a place in the mid, in the Point Loma area that has served the entire area for like 55 years. And it, it's one of those unique preschools that you, you can take your infant there and they, they can stay there through when they're turned four, right? There's, mm-hmm. So dozens of kids are there at any given time, hundreds and hundreds of families, some of the most prominent ones. I think Mayor Kevin Faulkner had his kids there. Like lots of prominent families have had their, their kids there. Um, it's a, a very prominent place, but it's not, you know, like a elite place. This was, you know, a, a daycare slash preschool. Mm-hmm. And we asked her, like, what, you know, what would it take to get a kid there now, like with the wait list and accessibility you have? And she's like, well, look, we can't find teachers. We It's very difficult to pay enough to attract people to come here. And uh, now, this is after the pandemic. This is after the pandemic. And the pandemic just crushed these places. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, is there a spot? And she said, I have no idea. It's going to take a long time, if you ask now, to get a spot. So later she talked about, um, uh, you know, finding qualified teachers has been very difficult. The prices of everything have increased. Everything that they, their supplies, it's all just become, she called it a vicious cycle. Well, just this week we learned that Honey Bear was closing. So um, it was, uh, it, the, the owners said that they can't deal with the costs anymore that it was a very difficult decision for them to make. But they're also dealing with something else that we mentioned in that story, which is that the state expanded the universal TK program. This was for four-year-olds can go to school as far as transitional kindergarten. Your son did it, right? My son is in transitional kindergarten right now. Yes. And which is a great benefit for those families. They don't have to pay for that uh, those days anymore. But that means that one of the very basic fundamentals of the economies of these daycares and preschools was ripped out like the very basic uh subsidy in in essence that the four-year-olds provide they 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 don't need as many teachers to oversee them and uh and thus their tuition can be used to subsidize the younger kids and that's just a cycle that they had yeah and like if you if you've never had kids and you don't know it's common but the your youngest kids cost the most yeah their price declines as they get older because the demands on them get lesser. But even at that lower cost, they are still the most profitable kids for these daycares because (laughs) that sounds so funny. I I think it's more accurate than a subsidy, frankly. Yeah. You know, it's like they, they, I hear you. I'm with you. I didn't laugh. That was these dorks. Yeah. The, 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 Profitability of a four-year-old is 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 much higher for a daycare than a six-month-old. Six-month-old requires lots of care, um, and so mm. pulling the five, the four-month-old, the four-year-old out of that system, leaving you only with your you know six-months-old to, to three years old, breaks the economic model of that these private companies have come to rely on. Um, so, like the state in this case is like an apex predator walking into the ecosystem of childcare without regard for what it's doing to that ecosystem. And and again, six, eight months ago, we wrote about how that was a likely consequence of this. Now, this was a benefit and they, the, the governor and everybody characterizes it as a benefit and a lot of people are benefiting. To be perfectly clear, my son started at UTK three months ago and his learning level has skyrocketed from being in a daycare program. I'm thrilled as a parent. But I'm also a parent of a two-year-old who's still left back in that daycare system. It's not an either-or proposition, right? right? Like it's a, it's a genuine ecosystem that, as a working parent and as a child, you really can't opt out, opt out of, um, unless you're a stay-at-home parent. That's like really the only way out of this system. And so, even then, it's not really because by three or four, you're going to want to be in something. So that that's this is we're talking about families that can afford and access childcare. Yeah. Before the pandemic. Only 40% of families with two working parents or a single parent had um, access or at least there was enough spots for them. Only 40% could be served by the childcare system as it was before the pandemic. After the pandemic, 
we lost 10% of those spots. And so uh, now we're one of the key ones. I mean, you lose a honey bear, that's, a, that's a, like a percent. Like things keep going. Mm-hmm. And we saw it, everybody saw it coming. This was Aaron uh, Hojboom from the San Diego for Every Child uh, uh, movement. This is a co- collaboration of a bunch of agencies that are worried about the child care crisis. She says, this is again eight months ago. She said, I think until we see substantial state and federal local investment, it's going to get worse, not kind of worse, exponentially worse. Just to be clear, this is a, another emergency in the city. If if you are a working family, you have to have two parents working or a single working parent, you got nothing unless you've got a support system of neighbors and families or some sort of alternate like schedule with your spouse or something because the system is 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 crumbling around you. And there's no answer. There's no there's no there's no plan for no, it. It's just getting worse. Yeah, and and like you know the 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 state made a had a lot of money to to spare during the pandemic, and one of the things it decided to create was the university universal TK system. It did so without lots of guidance to school districts. School districts have been left to their own devices to figure out what that meant. And I'll speaking only for the San Diego Unified School District where my kid goes. They've done a fantastic job of it. They figured it out. They figured it out on the fly. It's been clear that they're figuring it out on the fly, but it's been fantastic experience for us so far. But nonetheless, like there are ripple effects of of doing something that that grand. And so far, the state's response has been to figure it out as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, you know, if you take your kid out of daycare and you put them into uh, public school. Public school ends at like two o'clock for most schools, um, and on Wednesday it ends at noon. Well, your daycare, your private daycare programs usually go till five or six. So now you need after school care. After school care's licensing requirements at the time that Universal TK started did not allow like half of the kids that were newly able to go to aftercare or to UTK to go to aftercare. Their, their license didn't allow it. They mm-hmm. were too young to go to the after-school programs. So there was this whole cohort of kids who were suddenly able to go to public education, free public education, whose parents did not even have the option of sending them to an after-school program because they were, they were too young for it per the state's licensing requirements. Now, the state changed those licensing requirements, but like they didn't do it until well into the school year, and this they got confronted with this problem. They didn't foresee it. They didn't change it to make sure that it was in place before UTK started. They saw a crisis, and then they had to fix it on the fly. And I'm sure that that will have unintended consequences as well. Like They're making a big thing, and then they're waiting to find out what problems they create and then fixing them as they come. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The, the people who often bear the brunt of this are women and their careers and what they what needs to, you know, the, the if you don't, again, have an immediate network to to lean on for this situation, it's going to it's going to affect and, and has traditionally affected um, women. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. I'm just just straight. Keep up with all our stories and takes on the news with the Morning Report, our most popular newsletter. Get it at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also Managing Editor. And Nate John takes all of the things we say and makes them coherent every week and we are very grateful for that he is our producer thanks for listening talk to you next week